pain is this, I'm telling you, it's rocket fuel. It really, really, really is fuel. If you're willing to breathe and say, okay, this sucks. I'm not going to bypass it. I'm not going to pretend that it's not there. I'm not going to tell myself it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I'm just going to go, okay, I now have access to fuel that I didn't have before. What do I want to do with it? What's up, guys? I'm Zach, your host of the Auxoro Podcast, where we bring you face-to-face with music artists, athletes, entrepreneurs, doctors, designers, and other interesting humans in a show that dives deep into the story beyond the surface. You can now support Auxoro with a donation on Patreon, PayPal, or Venmo. We're a completely independent platform with no outside sponsors or investors, and we're grateful for any amount, no matter how small, to help push the conversation forward. If you'd like to support, you can visit patreon.com forward slash Auxoro, link in the podcast description as well. On Patreon, you get early access to episodes, discounts on merchandise, and other Patreon-exclusive content. Thank you for your support. If you love keeping up with Auxoro, we have a newsletter sent out twice a month with all of our latest content, as well as other articles, podcasts, books, and advice that we find helpful. I'm constantly scrounging the internet for things to improve my life, and I would love nothing more than to be able to share the things that have helped me with you. Go to Auxoro.com and join over a thousand others by subscribing to the newsletter. The link is also in the podcast description. This episode is brought to you by The Aux. The Aux is a short-form podcast produced by Auxoro, bringing you a daily dose of uncensored wisdom to jumpstart your life. 10 minutes or less, no bullshit, no topic off limits. We explore topics like fashion, porn, relationships, meditation, and more. You can subscribe to this podcast by searching The Aux, A-U-X, wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, I sat down with Traver Boehm, the founder of a platform called Man Uncivilized, and he has a book out right now that's by the same name, which I actually just ordered and I cannot wait to fucking dive into this shit, especially after the conversation I had with Traver. Man Uncivilized is about, quote, redefining how men view and express their masculinity by reconnecting them to their primal and divine masculine. This is a power packed episode. We talked about everything from jujitsu to fucking people with your words and, and how to write more effectively living a life of adventure and creating the life that you want and not caring about what others think what it, what others think excuse me and how how to be a man and how to embrace your masculinity in a time where it seems like masculinity is under attack in a lot of ways i really enjoyed this conversation with traver and i hope you guys do too there's a there's a lot of insight from this talk that you can latch on to. So without further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging episode with Traver Bohm. So so how how is Costa Rica? Oh dude, awesome. It's uh we we wrapped up like a New Year's Eve workshop here 
It was me, myself, Jeremy Goldberg, and Lee Ladilla, and about 30 participants. And we spent the next two or three days just kind of lying around recovering from that. And then switched up to, uh, we were in Dominical and then drove up to Nosara. Mm-hmm. And there was a, just a bunch of us, like coaches, entrepreneurs, internet people living in a house together. And it's been a wildly amazing time of surfing and conscious communication and cooking meals together and a little bit of brainstorming and uh, this beautiful mix of support and challenge and just ridiculous amounts of fun. So yeah, I have, I have no complaints whatsoever. Yeah, I, I saw that you're hosting a, a similar retreat out in Denver when I was going through your website. Is that what you were talking about? Yeah, I'm doing a men's only workshop in, in Denver or just outside of Denver. This was the one we did here was co-ed. Yeah, I was reading through it on your website. And besides from seeming like an incredible experience and self-discovery, I didn't know that people were organizing things like this. I'd never come across an event like that before. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, why, why is this not, why is this not advertised more? Why are more people not doing this, just meeting up and doing cool shit and then going back to their lives and trying to reconnect in a different way? Yeah, it's, it's, it's happening, right? Even on the male front, it's happening more and more for us. It used to be that there were a lot more offerings that were female only or just that women went to. You know, I did a workshop in Steamboat uh, in September and it was myself and Leela again. And for the first time in both of our teaching histories, there, were, there was more than one man at the event. That was usually what we got. We got one dude, <laughs> unless it was all men, right? So if it's co-ed, one dude. And this time we actually had more men than women, which was a shock to us, but like unfathomable for a co-ed workshop. So it, it let me know that one, the, the shift is happening. My message is getting to guys and guys are, guys are interested in this. I think they just didn't feel like they had a good invitation or, or that they would be spoken to, right? Like guys don't really want mm-hmm. to go to an all yoga goddess, yoni egg, you know, dance party workshop. Some may, but uh, the vast majority of us or us and them uh, weren't interested in that. And so now that there's more particularly like male offerings, uh, I do see the surge in guys like, yeah, 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 I'm actually interested in self-development and personal development. It just didn't speak to me before. Yeah, yeah. When I when I was reading about it, it's it's definitely something that I'm interested in. And I know a lot of other guys that I'm friends with would be interested in it too. And you're right. I think, I think a lot of things that uh, especially guys may be interested in are just presented in a way that makes it seem like it's maybe not guy friendly or you're going to be doing things that aren't going to be, you know, interesting to guys until you yeah. actually get there. And you're like, Oh shit. Like, why am I the only guy here? <laughs> like you're like a yoga class with uh 30 right. girls and only you, which I have no problem with that. That would be kind of awesome. But it's, uh, it's intimidating to walk into something like that when you know, you're going to be one of few or maybe the only, you know, guy presence there. Yeah. And how are you going to be viewed, right? Is that guy celebrated? Like, oh my God, you're the one guy who had the courage to show up to the 30 female yoga class. Or is it like, oh wow, you're a pervert. Yeah. Like you're just here because you want to fuck all these girls and stare at their asses while you do yoga. And, or like, are you actually here because you are interested in the practice or maybe it's a combination of both. Maybe you want to do yoga. Maybe you want to meet new women, meet new people, whatever you, whatever you're into. 
Yeah, I have a friend, man. This is a crazy story. Her dad went to a personal development workshop that was primarily women. And in the intro, in like the first half hour of the workshop, a woman stood up and said, I'm not comfortable with him being here as a man. And he was Damn. like, holy shit. Uh, like <laughs> one, you got some work to do, hon, because it's a it's a co-ed yeah. world. And two, uh, this isn't it's not like you know a female sexuality workshop. This was meditation and consciousness and, and all the things that like I get it if it was you know something very touchy or, or sexual, mm-hmm. but it wasn't. So yeah, there's we're overcoming that stigma of there are very female dominated spaces that are now being open to men, just like there were male dominated spaces spaces that are are socially and culturally are now open to women. Yeah. I, I think, you know, maybe, maybe that has to do with the, the culture. I, I wasn't there during the actual confrontation, but I know there is a lot of, you know, safe space culture going on and people feeling offended by speech or just someone's presence, like, like in that situation. And I, and I definitely want to get into that later. Sure. I thought a good place to start, even though we already started, I guess a, a good place to, to kick off the conversation would be, there's a plaque on your wall yeah. that reads, fuck them with words. Yeah. And I, and I love that because <laughs> it, it's simple and it gets the, the point across, which is how I try to write. And I'm not always successful in that way, but, it, but it's something that I think, think about and, I, and I've never verbalized it. Yeah in that way. And it it made me kind of think about how I want to write and how I want other people to kind of perceive those words. What does that mantra mean to you? And and what made you want to hang it on your wall? Mm. You know, it it came from, I was hanging out with the woman who designed my book, who was this wild creative artist, like a pure artist act. Like that's one of those people that, you know, instead of taking a movie on a plane, she just draws, you know, like, that's yeah. what she does. And she was a diehard uh, a worker. Like she just wanted to create art. And so on her computer screen, it said, fuck them with work. And she's like, I'll outwork, I'll outproduce anybody. And I was writing my book sitting next to her and asked like, will you write me one? Fuck them with words. And mm-hmm. what, it, what it came from was I want anybody who reads something I, I've written or is affected by like a live performance to, to not really sh- be sure what happened. Did they get punched mm-hmm. in the face? Did they get, did they get fucked? Did they, they got moved in some capacity, right? Like I used to say, I mm-hmm. want the opening sentence of every article I write to feel like someone just got slapped across the face. Cause then I got you, right? Like, all right, good. You're engaged. Yeah. There's, there's so much watered down vanilla, mediocre overuse of, of stupid language writing and messaging out there now due to social media and the proliferation of everyone having a message that I wanted my message to be crystal clear. I wanted it to be effective and I wanted people to walk away going, I'm not sure what just happened to me, but I'm turned on, mildly offended and moved. And I think that combo uh, was really well encapsulated by fuck them with words. You know, mm-hmm. I remember having a, a public speaking coach say um when you when you're when you when you say something that's brutal to the audience like you share something that just like it just fucks them up he goes just stand there stand there and make them hold it make them sit with it like don't don't let them off the hook 
Like, don't let them move to the next feeling by starting your next sentence. And I was like, so basically you want me to fuck with my audience. And he's like, I want you to fuck with your audience. I was like, well, basically you, <laughs> I love want that. To, you want me to fuck my audience. And he's like, I want you to think that energetically you're fucking your audience. I went, okay. That's a very different frame to walk on stage with. Right. As opposed mm-hmm. to, I hope they like me. I hope they get what I'm saying. I hope they're interested in what I have to say. It's I'm going to fuck all of you. And it's, it's, Man, I don't give a shit what gender expression, whatever. Like I want everybody to have that feeling of like, oh my God, I just got punched in the heart mm-hmm. and, you know, moved in the genitals. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, wa- I was watching your Ted talks and there's definitely some staring in my genitals. I can say that. So was- <laughs> Thanks. man. It was, it, was, it was great. But Thank yeah, you. I just, I think, you know, I'm listening to you speak right now and, and i listen to both of your TED talks and even on your, your podcast that you put out and especially the monologues. I love the way that you use your speech and the way that you say words, but not only the actual words, you're very good at leaving spaces Thank in you. between what you're saying. And, and it really gives me and other people a chance to, to feel the impact of it. Yeah. And it, it's, you're talking about topics that are also super emotional and and close to you yeah. and it it's almost like you're inviting you're inviting people into your life and and people need a second to absorb that and be like holy shit you know yeah. he just said this and then if you moved on to the next thing right away it might diminish the impact of what you just said but i i, I definitely feel the spaces with which you speak thank you i appreciate that yeah i've had a lot of great coaching a lot of great public speaking coaching. And I remember early on in my public speaking career saying things like, yeah, I just spent 28 days in complete darkness and this, this, and this. And my coach was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Let the audience sit there and go, wait a minute. What did he just say? Yeah. Holy shit. What? Wait, what? And, and don't steal the opportunity from them of having the feeling. Because you're mm-hmm. uncomfortable with it, they're uncomfortable with it, or you don't realize the profundity of it because it's your normal life. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, wow. That's some beautiful teaching right there. Yeah. And, and you were talking about the the 28 days in darkness. I I think that was your first – was that your first yeah, TED Talk? first talk, yeah. Yeah. And, and just even just saying that. Mm-hmm. and hearing that i it i was just imagining what i would do even you know spending one day in darkness but before yeah. i even started meditating i never even closed my eyes for more than five minutes a day and just sat there mm-hmm. i get to my own form of darkness and then when i was hearing you speak about 28 days i just did like this quick uh mental picture of okay if i'm sitting in darkness what can i do to avoid the darkness all right i don't have my phone Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't just jerk off for 28 days because <laughs> my dick will fall off. Uh, I'll, I'll eventually have to come to terms with my own thoughts. I, I you know, I, I can only eat for so long. I'm yeah. eventually I'm going to have to sit there and be like, holy fuck, this is my reality for 28 days. Yeah. And that's heavy, right? That's, that's a, mm-hmm. a huge amount of energy moving through you. You know, I said that experience was as overwhelming as it was underwhelming. Right? Like the door shut behind me and I went, okay, uh, wow. 
nothing mystical is happening. I'm not seeing God and angels. Oh, wow. This is boring as fuck. Holy shit. And then mm-hmm. the, my mind kicked in and all the triggers kicked in and all the like, oh shit, now I got to deal with myself. Okay. That's extraordinarily overwhelming. You know, when I, I teach a lot of workshops and do an exercise with blindfolds and tell everybody in the mm-hmm. beginning, close your eyes. Now, now squeeze them closed. Now put your hand over them. Now put the other hand over them. Now imagine that's your reality for the next 40,320 mm-hmm. minutes. That's your reality for the next month. Not for a day, not for an hour, not even for a week, which is unfathomable to most people, but an actual mm-hmm. month. That's what the experience. Now you have, and I've watched people get goosebumps. I have people start crying. Like, and, and this is only a 30 second exercise, a 45 second mm-hmm. exercise. But yeah, man, that was a, um, that was a life changing experience that I recommend people do if they think they can survive it. Uh, perhaps start with, you know, a couple days fewer, maybe try three days, try seven days. Mm-hmm. I didn't know exactly I came out that I was the first person at this facility and this was at an ashram. Mm-hmm. I was the first person that they, they initially let do more than three days in a row uh, f- without having done three days in a row. Meaning like most people come to the ashram, they're like, do three days. Okay, cool. You're good. Now, if you want to, you can do a longer period. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to do a month. And they're like, well, fuck. Yeah. I'm just imagining the guy at the front desk of the ashram. That's just like, <laughs> all right, we only have the three day package. This guy just asked for 28. What, yeah, what I, are we, what I, are we going to do? <laughs> what are we going to do? I didn't even know until after again, that the people who ran the ashram, this is like deep in the jungle of Guatemala. There's no desk. There's no mm-hmm. sign. And it's, it's, super fluid and hippie. Uh, the people that owned it had only done two weeks themselves. I was like, Oh, so you guys own this facility. You have this thing on site. You live and die and breathe by this way of being. And you've only done two weeks in a row. So mm-hmm. you actually can't tell me what I'm about to experience. And they're like, Nope, but we think you're going to be fine. What made you want to do 28 days? Was it, was there symbolic meaning behind it? What, what, what was the reason why you didn't want to just start off with, I guess, the recommended dosage at the time? Uh, one, I didn't know there was a recommended dosage. And two, when I was setting up, this was part of a bigger project. You probably read into the Year to Live project, where I lived all of 2016 as if it would be my last year alive. And what I planned to do was 12 one-month segments uh, of different experiences. Mm-hmm. And so it just naturally fit into that was a 28 day, oh, 28 days. It's a month. It was like the month of February, right? Um, so when I originally contacted the ashram, I was like, hey, I want to do this for a month because I'm doing this blah, blah, this, you know, 12 one month sections. Um, and they, they were honest. Like that is a profoundly long time. I hope you understand what you're asking from mm-hmm. me. And I talked to him a bit about my meditation practice and et cetera. And also said that I'd spoken to a man who kind of gave me insight into this idea and said he had done 180 days, not in a row, but had done two 49-day stints. Mm-hmm. That was the higher level prescription. Like one, that was as long as the the Tibetans recommended that you do do it, seven weeks. And it was what they recommended you worked up to. 
the caveat to that story is he told me that the first time he did it, he got dragged out. And I think week five or six, cause he was bleeding out of his eyes, ears and nose. Jesus. And I went, oh, um, <laughs> what, why was that happening? And he said that to the Tibet, this was like deep in Tibet. He said that they, he had gone so deep in meditations that he experienced demons. And I was like, Jesus. holy shit. Like, and we're having lunch in Santa Barbara, California. Like there's, there's not demons. I was like, well, what do you think happened? Like, do you think that you encountered demons and they attacked you? And he goes, no, I think I had food poisoning. And I'm like, oh, well, shit. It's still some heavy thing, heavy, mm-hmm. heavy energy to work through while locked into a room by, or locked in a room by yourself with no light. Yeah. When the, when the last guy that you talk to is bleeding out of his eyes, nose and mouth, and he looks like he uh, went in there and caught Ebola, I'm sure it would be hard to uh, get yourself to do it. So <laughs> like, yeah, just don't eat the meat, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. You uh, you seem to be someone that invites a lot of involuntary suffering into your life, and <laughs> that seems like it's it, it. Not that it seems like it. it it's very uncommon today. And you've practiced jujitsu extensively, sitting in darkness for twenty eight days straight. You invite your pain in emotionally. What what do you think that willingness comes from to invite involuntary suffering into your life? Hmm. You know, it it comes from the understanding, I believe, or perhaps I'm just making this up, that there are answers that you're only going to get through pain. There's transformation that's only going to come from pain. That pain is an alchemizing substance that changes us, it transforms us, it changes the way we look at the world, it changes the way we look at ourselves, it changes the way we look at the human experience. It colors us, it shapes us, it shifts us. And so knowing that, I now know that I have access, like the world's gonna give me pain anyway. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, not, it's unavoidable in the human experience. So am I seeking it out constantly? No. But do I believe, again, I'll use that word. It's like it's an alchemizer, right? There's a difference mm-hmm. between jiu-jitsu is, is a, one of the most phenomenal sports on the planet. But what it, what it does more than teach you how to use your body and teach you how to submit people and teach about angles is it teaches you how to manage discomfort because you're, just, you're uncomfortable mm-hmm. every moment of almost every moment of the entire experience. Same with so much of, of being human, right? What is heartbreak? Heartbreak is this awful experience that we encounter. Mm-hmm. Yet how many people do you and I both know who have had a divorce, had a breakup, had something, and then radically shifted their lives in ways that were far more authentic and far more holistic and far more valuable for who they were in the long run and so they look back on that period of pain, that period of awfulness, like heartbreak, fucking brutal. Like people mm-hmm. will do anything to avoid it and get out of it, myself included. And yet mm-hmm. we look back in hindsight and say, oh, I'm so grateful for that because it became the fuel that I used to transform my life in ways I couldn't if I didn't have that fuel. Mm-hmm. Right. That's really it, Zach. So it's, I'm not seeking it. Like I'm not a masochist, quite the opposite. Like, <laughs> about jujitsu and and sometimes in the bedroom is you get to inflict pain as opposed Mm -hmm. to receiving it. There are people who just want to receive it. 
But I think I've looked at the world and go, okay, it's going to come. It's going to happen. How do I use it? How do I get comfortable with this medium? Like if it were clay, I'd want to know that I knew how to create things with it rather than just be afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, heartbreak is a is a great example. I think I've I've realized a lot of things about myself with the limited heartbreaks that I've had. I've only been in one serious relationship. I'm 26 years old, so I had one relationship that lasted for about a year a few years okay. ago. And it, it was I, I just felt like I was in this space of wanting to prove myself to the person that broke up with me and do everything in my power to make them seem like I was worth their time. And then also to kind of, you know, basically tell them to fuck off and, and, and out of spite or vengeance to just break up all contact with them and basically just, uh, be extremely selfish, which, which I, I think that I do now in a more healthy way. But in, in the aftermath of that breakup, it was, it was like, I was going back and forth between these, these two things. And it, and it took me a while to, to figure out, or, or and I'm, I'm still figuring out a lot of ways going through the pain and actually inviting it in and saying, okay, this, this happened. This is how she feels. It's not going to change. This is how I feel. I can, I can, you know, forge the path in front of me. I can decide whether I want to go back to her to basically let someone else's uh, wants for me control what I want to do, or I can just live my life and do what I want to do. And then as a byproduct, hopefully other people will be interested in me. And I think pain had a lot to do with that. Yeah. So heartbreak is brutal, right? And, and one of the main pieces of it that's unique to other pain is if if this woman leaves you, and you're in the most extraordinary pain of your life, on some level, you also know that in an instant, she has the power to take that pain away. Mm-hmm. She gets calls and says like, Zach, huge mistake. You're amazing. I love you. You're incredible. I want to work this out. Let's get back together. Where with something as final as death, like if a parent dies, a pet dies, whoever, it's done. There, there is no possibility of them coming back. Mm-hmm. So- Heartbreak walks us down a path that is so fraught with challenge, but yet so rife with opportunity. Of And it's this moment-to-moment spiritual quest of, am I going to stay present? Am I going to get lost in story? Am I going to tell myself that I'm going to use this negatively? Like, of course she broke up with me. I'm a piece of shit. Or of course I broke up with her. I don't attract good women. Or are we going to use it in other ways that are more positive? Mm-hmm. It just wasn't the right fit. It wasn't the right time. I'm amazing or I have work to do, right? I have to mm-hmm. learn how to communicate in a different way. I have to be, I have to learn to be great in the world and amazing in my own skin so that I'm not reliant upon her in the ways that I was needy, right? And the, the root mm-hmm. of all that, brother, is pain. Like if it sucks, it's, it's, it's nauseating. It wakes you up at two in the morning. You see a picture, you smell something and you want to throw up or die. It's, it's, it's awful. But pain is this, I'm telling you, it's rocket fuel. It really, really, really is fuel. If you're willing to breathe and say, okay, this sucks. I'm not going to bypass it. I'm not going to pretend that it's not there. I'm not going to tell myself it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. I'm just going to go, okay, I now have access to fuel that I didn't have before 
What do I want to do with it? And then actually doing the things, getting your ass to work. Okay, I want to. I, I have to work on my healing some of my childhood wounds that are being triggered in romantic relationships. Cool. Let me pick up the phone and call a therapist. Mm-hmm. Despite all my trepidations around that, and despite the fact that I've kind of known I should have gone to therapy for the last five years, but I didn't because it's expensive. It's it may be embarrassing. It's time consuming. It's yada yada. Yeah, I think it also has a stigma too. If you tell someone that you're in therapy, they just assume that you're you're broken in some way, which may be true, but it's not like I'm broken and I'm trying to get better. Some people may view it as okay, this person's just, you know, perpetually in a state of of brokenness and is the the type of person that needs therapy. And as I've learned more about therapy, I I've been to a few therapy sessions myself. I know people very well that are in therapy it it seems like it's it's a great way to figure your shit out basically like go through your pain and verbalize things and actually say the things that are scaring you and and that you say to yourself but you've never actually said them out loud a hundred percent right i didn't i didn't walk into my garage one day by myself and say like okay i'll I'll just i'll learn jujitsu here solo i had to go get a i had to go to a jujitsu school i had to go Mm -hmm get a coach and go get some like, Oh, this is what you do. You guide people from shitty white belt who doesn't know anything to black belt. Cool. Let me sign up with you. Let me, let me get awesome. Let's, let's do this. And so I think therapy, I viewed it like I had a therapist all through my divorce, all through the separation. And I just called the guy coach. Yeah. It's like, you realize you're the only one of my clients who calls me coach. I'm like, yeah, but you're kind of coaching me through how to deal with things. I don't know how to deal with. Like if I had the skill to deal with this on my mo- on my own, I would. It's not a lack of motivation. I literally don't know how to do this. Just like I didn't know how to deadlift. So I hired a weightlifting coach. Mm-hmm. And, and I think especially for men listening, when we can frame it that way and say, we hire people for a lot of things. Why wouldn't we hire people for the number one thing that affects us the most, which is our mental health? Like, holy shit, well, mm-hmm. well how- pay people to do all kinds of stuff for us and, and removing the stigma is, you know, like, again, I have zero trips. People aren't coming up to me being like, Oh my God, you paid to learn jujitsu. What's wrong with you? Are you broken? Like, no idiot. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard. So yeah, I paid. Yeah. Like I I need someone to fucking teach me. (laughs) Exactly. And, And, and looking at it and going, I don't care what people think. My mental about this issue, my mental health uh, is so much more important to me because it's going to affect every single thing I do for the rest of my life. Why not have a professional guide me through an exceptionally hard period or to go back and navigate things that happened to me that were out of my control at the time that I, I don't have the skill set for? Yeah. Hire, like anybody listening to this, especially guys, go to fucking therapy. Do it. It's cool. It's tough. It's manly. It's all the things. Go to therapy. You'll feel better. Everything will be better. Your sex life will be better. You'll make more money. You'll look better naked. Like all the things that you really want, therapy will help you with them. There, there's my therapy plug. When you were calling your therapist coach, did he ever tell you to drop and give him 20 in the middle of a therapy session? <laughs> no, <laughs> but I would have. I was like, I have buddy in your hands, man. You tell me what the fuck to do. You're a professional. This is not my world. 
Yeah, before before we dig into your deepest, darkest secrets, go give me a five minute wall sit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I would have. Yeah. Like and I remember telling him, I will do anything you tell me to do. Like he had me drawing pictures, Zach. He had me like recording my dreams. Like all the things that were so out of my realm of expertise or knowledge. And I remember thinking, good. Because if I want to get a result that I, I haven't gotten any other way, I have to do shit that I'm not, I don't do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll draw your damn pictures. I'll talk about my dreams. I'll do the things. And in hindsight, it was one of the smartest decisions I ever made. And I've still, I've actually interviewed the therapist on my own podcast and, and have called him and just said, you were so instrumental at shaping me. Here are the, here are the words. It's shaping me into the man I am today who's now out in the world shaping other people. So it wasn't like, oh my God, you're broken. You need to get fixed. It was like, this guy's going to give me the tools and, and help me grow into someone who's going to start a movement that's going to shift the culture of men forever. That's fucking rad. I'll take that any day of the week with zero shame whatsoever. I like that. Turning the tables on the therapist and, and, and putting him on the mic for the, for the interview. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was cool. Be like, be like, all right, all right. I told you all this shit about me. Now it's now it's, now it's time for you. Now it's time for you to step up, bitch. Here we go. Yeah, show me on the doll where they touched you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that could be an entire session on its own. So one of the things I wanted to get into was your journey through jujitsu, and this is actually something that's been creeping up in in my own life i think it's been a long time coming but about the middle of last year i I made a list of things that scare me or make me uncomfortable in a good way and i had things on there like public speaking learning some type of martial arts learning how to fire and handle a weapon just just things that i did not know how to do that scare the shit out of me basically and i have been practicing my public speaking. I, I joined Toastmasters about four months ago, and I, and I wanted to thank you. Yeah, and I and I I didn't want these to be like the flavor of the month. Like this is my jujitsu month, and this is my public speaking month. Like I wanted it to actually stay with me. So I told myself, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick one. I'm gonna do public speaking, and then I want that to be integrated into my life. I want that to become part of my routine, and then I'm gonna go on to the next one. And I've just been. Uh, feeling more drawn to jujitsu, uh, especially since I I know a few people well that practice it often. I, I listen to a shit ton of Joe Rogan, and he's always talking about the benefits that it has in his life. And the people that I've encountered that do jujitsu, and I, and I get this sense from you as well. It's it kind of instills this sense of of calmness and assuredness in yourself, even though. You know, most people would think of it as this this uh, this aggressive act, which you know looks like it it can be. But I always get the sense from people that practice it on a regular basis that they're more sure of themselves than I am, yeah. or they're more uh, they they can fuck shit up at all times if they needed to, but they walk around like they don't have to essentially. So I wanted to know what drew you into jujitsu and how you how did you get started? Sure. Uh, I was living in Hermosa Beach, California in maybe 2004, 2005, that, that time frame, And it was huge there. Like the Brazilians had come to that part of the, the country, like Gracie, the uh, Gracie Torrance was like the big jujitsu school. The Machados had schools there. 
And I was training at um, Dan Inosanto's place, the guy who trained under Bruce Lee. And he was he was teaching this course, the June like Bruce Lee's martial art. And the class itself, Zach, was like it, it wasn't that intense. Like it was very technical. Mm-hmm. And these guys would roll in afterwards. And they had black eyes. They were all fucked up. They just looked like fighters. And I was like, hey, what class is this? And the guy at the front desk was like, oh, that's shoot fighting. It's taught by a guy named Eric Paulson. Mm-hmm. And shoot fighting was essentially the Japanese version of MMA before MMA existed. And I was like, holy shit, what is this? Let me take it. And I took a class and I got annihilated. Like there was a dude who was maybe yeah. 30, 40 pounds lighter than me. And I'm still friends with him to this day. And he just tapped me every six or seven seconds for an hour. That was my entire first <laughs> Like imagine that. That's it's, yeah. it was zero fun whatsoever. Uh, it was brutal. I, I went home and I lay in bed and I started like shaking violently and like seizing and be like, what just happened to me? I have to figure this out. And I had a black belt in Taekwondo. I had, I had martial arts experience. I'd, I'd done some boxing. I'd done some Muay Thai, but I'd never been on the ground. And so that led me to, huh, if the ground is this brutal and this technical and this in, interesting then why don't I just isolate the ground element and start studying jujitsu? So mm-hmm. I went right next door to where I worked, which was, which was South Bay Jiu-Jitsu in Hermosa Beach, and just signed up immediately and went on the journey that is jujitsu. Mm-hmm. You know, and you, you brought up a lot of really interesting points that come from this. Show me another sport or even another activity in life where for the first perhaps – six months, you never win. Like imagine if mm-hmm. basketball in the first six months of basketball, you, you never score a single point ever. And you just get dunked on all day, right? Like the people who make it to the point where they score their first points or the people who make it to in jujitsu to the point where they tap their first person, mm-hmm. they've already gone through a huge journey of not quitting. They've had their egos demolished. Like how fun does this sound? Oh, you're just going to get beat up every day for six months by girls, by guys, by guys smaller than you, by people who are skinny, by all the people you think are weak. Everybody's just going to eat you alive. You either quit or you don't quit. And that's yeah. the first That's the first chapter of jujitsu, right? And you're learning constantly, but it's this, you're just getting your ass handed to you over and it's painful. It's not like losing a chess match. Every time you lose, someone's either extending your elbow, choking your throat, like twisting your knee. They're, they're, they're hurting you in some capacity. And I'm not trying yeah. to like, – I hope guys hear this and be like, go do jujitsu. Don't let this scare you. It's just the reality. So what does that, what does that necessitate? It makes you go, I'm not going to quit. 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 You're going to watch – 80%, 90% of the students quit, especially guys who like the toughest guy, guy who thinks he's the toughest quits the fastest. And yeah. so then you get to a point where you beat your first person, you tap somebody and it's like, Oh my God, I've just passed the threshold. Right? Like I actually beat somebody. Now 
Now it's a whole different game. Now you've got like one stake in the ground. You've got one in a row. But here's the second part of jujitsu that's really, really, really interesting. The entire time you're wrestling or training with someone, they are an uncooperative opponent. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Right? When I did Taekwondo and karate and all those other ones, they were like, imagine someone throws a punch at you. And some dude would like half-heartedly throw a punch at me. And I would like block it in seven different ways and then like kia and hit him a bunch of times. In jujitsu, it's like this guy is trying to choke you the entire time. He's not friendly. He's not nice. He's not doing things to help you. He's not facilitating your move. He's trying to or she is trying to choke you. So it's not like the like the boxing sparring session that people think of where it's like someone else is there to basically help you practice as this passive aggressor basically it's like you're you're both going at it 100 percent. you're both going at it all the time and so imagine that now of walking down the street in life it doesn't matter business meeting entrepreneurship starting a podcast and you have all of this experience of constantly working with a force that's against you that's in your back pocket that's in your dna it's in your it's it's in your body Mm -hmm. it's Suddenly life gets a lot easier because life isn't grinding its face into your face and choking you. And you've gotten to the point where you're okay with that happening. You, you not only, you, 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 you expect adversity at all times in jujitsu, like the entire sport, you touch hands, you, you slap hands and go. And now you welcome to adversity and welcome to your ego being crushed and welcome to camaraderie. Welcome to someone choking you. And then you being like, dude, tell me how you did that. And them explaining it to you, where suddenly guys who are above you, and I'm, I'm, I'm using men, the male terms here because it's mostly men, but let's just say men and women. The sport is also geared so that you're learning from each other constantly. Like I remember being in tournaments, like actual tournaments and losing, and then asking the guy afterwards, like, hey, how did you get that move on me? And, and him showing me. Like, oh, you hit your hand was here. So I ducked under that way. I grabbed this part of you and I pulled you in. I was like, awesome. Thanks. Like that's, that's also part of it. It's not just this dog eat dog experience, but so, so if we break it down, right? Like there's a huge buy-in to make it to your first rank or just to survive the first six months. Like you got a huge investment. Mm-hmm. So you got to be the type of person that goes all in. Number two, you got to deal with pain. You got to deal with adversity. You got to deal with your ego getting handed to you. Number three, you got to learn that everybody around you is there to teach you and mm-hmm. will teach you. Now take that same map and apply it to business. Exact same thing happens, mm-hmm. right? Take it to any other activity. If, we're, if, if we want to be at a high level, we choose something difficult, there's going to be adversity at every turn. You're going to get your ass handed to you. Like I've taught a lot of people how to set up coaching practices, or set up their business. I'm like, hey, guess what happens for the six, first six months? Your shit doesn't work. Yeah, your you're going to get your ass kicked. Work. You're going to get your ass kicked. You're going to look around the room and be like, oh my God, all these guys make seven figures and I make none. This sucks. Oh, there's your ego. And then, oh, you make your first sale. Okay, I just beat somebody. Oh, I'm dealing with adversity. Hmm. Oh, what if I reached out to those guys making seven figures and said, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Can you tell me how you did that thing? And you start to realize that jujitsu is very similar to other avenues of life. 
Yeah, and I, and I know the the dropout rate is ridiculous, like you were saying before, and and I oh, love wow. that I love that analogy to business because I I had thought about it a little bit with with other sports, but it seems like it's even more more of a potent analogy with jujitsu. I I had a couple questions for you just to, just about the the routine of your practice because I've I've spoken to some some other guys that are interested in getting into jujitsu and we we both lift about four to five times a week and okay. I, I wanted to know first what, what what do you think is the minimum number of days that you can practice a week while still reaping the benefits of the practice and mm-hmm. two what is your lifting regimen like outside of jujitsu are, are you able to recover fully say you practice three or four days a week do you feel like you can still lift one or two days a week do you lift on the day you practice what, what does that kind of look like for you beautiful it's a great question you know i'd say in the beginning i would be doing more jujitsu than lifting so however you mm-hmm. break that down because you're trying to get better at jujitsu and what's going to make you better at jujitsu isn't having five extra pounds on your bench press mm-hmm. or five extra pounds on a back squat so there needs to be a, uh, a base level of strength just in the human body to be good at sport. But after that base level of strength has been achieved, then jiu-jitsu is a skill activity. Sure, there's strength components. Like obviously, it, it, you know, a, a seven-year-old child isn't going to beat a 240-pound man most likely. So yes, there are strength components. Uh, so to answer your question, in the beginning, I would be doing way more jujitsu, four or five times a week, and maybe even just lifting once or twice and not lifting heavy, lifting just to keep keep your strength where it's at, right? So mm-hmm. imagine trying to learn two disciplines that draw on the same system. It's going to be hard. That system's mm-hmm. going to get taxed, yeah. right? And so ask yourself, like, what do I want out of this? When I was really training jujitsu twice a day, five, six days a week, I wasn't lifting. I was mm-hmm. surfing. I may be doing some pull-ups now and then, swinging a kettlebell every once in a while, but I didn't need to. I had a base level of strength. Now, when I was fighting professionally, a little bit different, right? Then I was mm-hmm. doing more, it was just cross-training though, Zach, right? Like I was running every day. I was running hills. It was more about endurance because I had a, you know, I had a 325 back squat. I had a 450 deadlift. So it's like I was strong as fuck for a 155 pound fighter. Mm-hmm. So I didn't need to add, like that wasn't going to, getting from 450 to 475 wasn't going to help as much as learning three new escapes from a triangle choke would. Mm-hmm. That's really what you're after. So ask it, you got to prioritize it. It's like, if you want to be a lifter, be a lifter. If you want to get really good at jujitsu, do a lot of jujitsu. Yeah, I, I, I was kind of expecting that answer too. I think I was just fooling myself into thinking that I could do both at the, at the same intensity that I'm doing right now. And and yeah. I, I came from uh, playing baseball all the way from five years old up until when I finished college a few years ago. And so I, once I got into college and and lifting was a regular part of my regimen, it was all about getting to a certain back squat, deadlift, rowing, basically being as strong as you can as a pitcher, as strong as you need to. And then I've kind of adapted that a little bit into 
my training right now, which is I'm not necessarily as worried about maxing out because I, I hike and snowboard. I don't necessarily have to be able to squat 400 pounds to, to right. do that and enjoy it. And so I know I'm going to kind of, and I went through like almost an ego death with that a little bit where I'm like, okay, okay. I'm not like, my job is not to throw baseball as hard as I can anymore. Now my job is to be generally fit. I want to look good. I want to look good naked. I want to be an active person and I, I want to enjoy life. So like, that's what I, how my lifting should be centered right now. So I know that, you know, it sounds uh, like if I'm going to bring jujitsu into my life, which I, which I will, I'm going to need to dial back the lifting very significantly, which, you know, kind of sucks to think about, but I I know it's, you know, it's something that I'm going to be grateful for in the future. Yeah. It's, it's just a trade-off, you know, ask yourself this at the end of your first week of jujitsu, how many of these people did I lose to because uh, they were stronger than me? And how many of these people did I lose to because they're better than me? Yeah. When that right? seven-year-old when that seven-year-old taps me out, it's not going to be because he was stronger than me. <laughs> exactly. Jiu-jitsu is such a mind fuck in that way that you'll literally have 110-pound girls that are going to eat you alive. It's because they know how to move. They know how to use leverage. It's because of jujitsu. It's not because of anyone's particular skill. Like you get you get beaten by jujitsu, you get beaten by jujitsu, just like you get beaten by chess. Sure, mm-hmm. there's a physical component to it, but it's so irrelevant. What's going to feel weird too is these people are not weird. Perhaps that's not the right way to put it. People who've done a lot of jujitsu build jujitsu strength, right? Like mm-hmm. Jeff Glover, you know that name is a, a, gr- a famous jujitsu fighter. And he used to teach in Santa Barbara when I lived there and I hung out with him a bunch of times and he would literally hang out on a couch and squeeze a football, not with his hands, <laughs> but he'd like put it under his elbow, yeah. like almost in the armpit and squeeze it in there. And I'd be like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I, I, this is what I do when I relax. Like he choked the football. He's like, I want, these are the little muscles that give out when I sink in a choke. Yeah. Like bench pressing is irrelevant. We don't push people off of us that way in jiu-jitsu. So your opponents are going to have this extraordinary set of muscles that don't translate into anything in the gym, right? Like mm-hmm. adduction of the elbow, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, uh, and so it's going to feel like they're superhuman, but they've just trained the actual muscle patterns that are good in jiu-jitsu. Just like if you right now as a guy, 26-year-old, if we took you in the prime of baseball and we put you on a surfboard and put you out in the ocean and said, okay, go paddle for the next two hours, you'd be exhausted. Yeah. Oh my God. You don't, you don't have to run more than 90 feet in baseball. <laughs> right. And if we tend you, you're not using these tiny little muscles in your back that work in a very specific way when you paddle. So, but yet you'd be stronger than the seven-year-old girl who's paddling, but yet she'd mm-hmm. out paddle you. So it's very sports-specific muscle, which you're not going to get weightlifting. Yeah, I, I kind of experienced my own version of the the guy squeezing the football on the couch a few a few weeks ago. I went rock climbing with a group of friends, and one of the guys in the group practices jujitsu two to three hours a day. And Amazing. he had rock climbed a few times before, but nothing regularly. 
and he was just a, like an absolute fucking spider monkey rock climbing. <laughs> he, like he, he had rock climbed for maybe, you know, six hours in his life. So essentially we were at the same level and yeah. I'm just on these ones and twos. They basically had them labeled V ones through V sevens. And I'm just going up and down these ones and twos trying to nail them. And he's just like grabbing onto V fours and V fives, just testing them out and getting three quarters away up to the top and nailing it the next time. And I'm just like, Holy shit. Like, how the yeah. fuck are you doing that? Like just figuring it out and not, not even just the raw strength, but just the, the flexibility and the, the positions he was able to put himself in right off the bat without actually being a rock climber uh, was impressive. Sure. Yeah. And very similar like grip strength is so important in jujitsu. Like mm-hmm. That's, that's and, and it's so important in rock climbing. Yeah. Yeah. So he just had some translation there. Yeah, they had that little uh, little pull up bar that has room for your fingers, your your four fingers, three fingers, two fingers, then it's down to a five centimeter hold, ten centimeter hold, and I was like, I I, I don't know how the fuck you do this shit, but people were hanging on by two fingers and just banging out two sets of fifteen and then going to the rock climb shit, and I was like, that's pretty fucking cool. It's wild, yeah. So think about that, right? Like mm-hmm. imagine those guys being like, oh, I wonder if my bench press will help here. Uh, it won't. No. <laughs> so uh, I, I was stalking your Instagram feed yesterday. Sure. And one of the one of the captions that I saw on your Instagram, it was a Kanye West quote. And I, yeah. I fucking love Kanye West. And <laughs> it was, quote, my life is dope and I do dope shit. Yeah. And in the caption, I read that you had posted this in the aftermath of a divorce and, and you've talked about that extensively on other podcasts and things like that. So I, I, I don't want you to have to go through the, the whole process of that. Sure. But when you were posting that quote and thinking about the essence of, of what that meant, what what were you doing at that time? What, what was kind of your, your mindset that day in terms of the dope shit that you wanted to do? Cause I think a lot of people would be interested in doing more dope shit. Like who doesn't want to be a guy who's known as being an adventurous fucking awesome guy. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I love, and I'm Kanye, God bless him. He's a genius. And sometimes he needs the mic taken away from him. <laughs> no, this, no. Was a, <laughs> this was a great quote. And it's a great quote, Zach, and it's simplicity. Not, and it's, it's, it's a great quote in its simplicity and it necessitates a lot of action. So when I posted it, I had just gotten to Costa Rica. I was living in this, uh, like a, uh, a tree house type Airbnb. I just surfed my ass off. I was about to do a workshop, which is going to help a lot of people make a lot of money and I planned an entire 12, 12 month book and speaking tour that's international. So I was like laying out some of the framework of that of like, when am I going to go to Ireland? When am I going to go to Australia? When am I going to go to Bali? When am I going to go shark diving? Cause that's going to happen. What other cool shit do I want to do? What other dope shit do I want to do? And yes, there's, I have the opportunity because of how I work. I have the opportunity because I've had the ability to give talks and write books and have business in other arenas. But I also did the fucking work to get all of that. Mm-hmm. Right? I've done the two or three years of being broke. I've borrowed money from people. I've begged consultants to let me work with them or let them work with me. 
I've done, I've showed up over and over and over for free workshops, free seminars, like you name it. I've put all the work in, but the shift when, especially when I talk to men is, do you love your life? Yes or no? No. What are you going to do about it? It's very Mm -hmm. simple, right? Like, do you want to have a more cool life? Do more cool shit. Well, that, yeah, no, no, there's no well. It's just do more cool shit, mm-hmm. right? Do you want to learn to hunt? Go learn to hunt. Do you want to do jujitsu? Go take jujitsu. And I get it. There may be some financial ramifications around some of this, mm-hmm. but if that's the case, start a side hustle, right? Go through your garage and sell all the shit that, that you don't use. Like when there's, where there's a will, there's a way. And so I was just planning this extraordinary year that when I looked at, I put a, one of those giant 12 month calendars up on my wall, mm-hmm. asked the question, like how fucking dope can I make this year? And how can I do dope shit while serving, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm giving a ton of free talks this year. I'm doing a, a tonight, like a free zoom call for anybody who bought my book. Mm-hmm. Like giving back, giving back, giving back, talking to, I talk to men all day on Instagram. Hey, I have this problem. Can you help me? Yes, I can. Hey, I, I'm like at rock bottom. Like, you know what? Call me. Let's get on a free mm-hmm. call. Like something, right? So it's, it's this mix of service, but also like, what do you want to do? That's cool. Right. I ask this question all the time to met to, to people. And what they do is give me all the reasons that they can't. I can't yeah. do that because. I can't do this because, or, oh, that sounds like a lot of work. Like it is a lot of work. Planning Mm -hmm. an entire year book speaking fucking dope tour was a lot of work. Mm -hmm. I would sit there in front of that, that calendar and eat dinner and get on my computer and research shit for two or three hours a night for like two weeks. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to do that. I could watch Netflix. Didn't have to do that. I could watch porn. I could do all kinds of. Th- I could drink beer. I could do all the. Th- I don't do these things. I plan dope shit, and so I love just the idea of man. What if I was responsible for making my human experience amazing or not? And if the availability window exists, right? Like I don't have kids. One of them's not sick. My parents aren't sick, mm-hmm. and I'm home taking care of them. I didn't just get cancer in my leg. I didn't just X, Y, Z. I get it. These are real things for people, but they're more the anomaly than they are the, the regular. Like most people are perfectly healthy, have the ability with a little bit of extra effort, can do some really, really wild, wild shit with their lives. They just don't because they're numb, because they check out, because they do. And I have nothing against people drinking or smoking pot or looking at porn if that's what they want to do. But it's if that's the cost <laughs> of not having a dope life, then what the fuck are you doing? Cause I don't want to get to 85 or whatever it is when I'm lying on my deathbed and been like, you know what? I stayed home a lot and that was awesome. You know, yeah. I drank a lot of beer. I watched a lot of Netflix. I looked at a lot of Instagram and that was my life. Well, nope. I surfed some kick-ass waves in Nicaragua. I surfed some kick-ass waves in, in Costa Rica I flew myself to Ireland and just said, hey, any men in the 50-mile radius want to come to a talk? Come. Like, how, how fucking cool is that? My, my buddy Jeremy, who I did a workshop with, he walked across the to, walked across Portugal on the Camino walk. Like, he just did it. He's like, you know wow. what I want to do? I want to walk across the country. Now he uses it as a workshop. 
like people pay him so he can walk them across the yeah, country. Yeah, ma- making his work a part of his life, or kind of his shaping his work into his life instead of letting his work dictate 100%. it. Like he didn't have to do that. And you know what? He's a PhD. He's a doctor. He doesn't have to do any of this. But he just—he literally said, "Like that sounds like it was—it would be a lot of fun." And he asked me, "Hey, do you want to come along for this?" And I was like, "Dude, that sounds dope. I definitely want to come along for it." Oh, here are all the reasons why you can't. You know, like my brain is like, "Oh, that's an expensive ticket to Europe." Oh, I'm not going to be working for ten days. That's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. Fucking dope. Yeah. Think of all the stories that are going to come from that. I'm going to tell my grandkids someday. Guess what? I walked across the damn country. As opposed to I just stayed home and watched Netflix for a week. So he and I, like, he, I asked him, do you want to come hang out at my men's workshop? And the one you, we talked about in the beginning in Denver. And he's like, yeah, it sounds like a kick-ass weekend. I was like, really? You'd come? Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. It's going to be a ton of fun. I'm like, yeah, you want to teach a little bit there? Yeah, that'd be fun too. Okay. Like that's kind of how world the world, your work gets to work, Zach. I think when, when we go back to jiu-jitsu, when you hit a level that's like purple or brown belt, Right, you're making mm-hmm. money. You know what your mission is. You know what you're building. You have your branding dialed mm-hmm. in. You, you've you've gone through all the like the suck of no one showing up to your pro your your first. You know, I, I wrote about it a couple of days ago. Like no one showed up to my shit in the beginning. No one. You know, disheartening it is. To, like get excited about an event all week and show up and it's literally no humans. Yeah, and have that happen multiple times. Yeah, I've heard. Uh... I mean, going back to the Joe Rogan podcast a little bit, I love how he's having comedians on that can kind of walk you through them telling jokes to four people in a in a room, <laughs> and no, like no one is laughing. I think I think it was no Bird that was on that was basically like, I'm not gonna change my act, so if no one's fucking laughing, I'm just gonna stick with it and give the audience shit. There's a clip of him. Basically, ripping the audience to shreds in Philly, I, or some basically tearing apart their football team. I guess there were a lot of football fans in the crowd because the crowd had kind of turned on them. So he kind of used it as an opportunity to roast the crowd. He's just like, "Fuck this! I'm getting paid. I'm getting the fuck out of here." Um, yeah, I love it. Yeah, but it's cool to hear stories of uh, you know people not showing up to shit, and and I can identify a lot with that because I, I still consider myself. A, you know a baby podcaster there there have been people that have recorded thousands of episodes so you know 85 episodes is nothing i plan on doing this for as long as i'm able to speak and it's it's uh it's intimidating to have to go through those times and, and i'm still going through them where you know things just aren't fucking working out how you want to or how you envision it in right. your head or when you plan a workshop and you think hundreds of people are going to show up and maybe four people show up or, you know, an episode doesn't get as much traction as you thought or, you know, people, someone's not interested in you, shit like that. I, I love hearing the, the stories of people talking about that because it gives me a sense of self-worth too, knowing that even though it's not the same story, I, I can at least identify with what that person's going through. Yeah, I think it's the entry fee, man. It's just like jujitsu. Like the entry fee is you're going to get your ass handed to you for six months. That's the buy-in. Mm-hmm. Just like this. Like no one's going to come listen to your first five events. You you okay with that? Okay, if you're okay with that, then you you get to play. Mm-hmm. I used to I had to cancel so many events in the beginning because no one no one signed up. And I'd be so disheartened hardened canceling them. And now I sell out events. 
And now I'm in this people like, Oh, you're so lucky. Like, Oh no, no, you don't remember back in the beginning when I was crying on a couch because no one fucking came to my shit. I was saying if when you get to that brown belt, purple belt, black belt level, and you get to then plan and create a really unique life for yourself, it gets, it gets dope, right? Like you can now go, okay, I have this business. I've got 85 episodes under my belt. Hmm. If I want to go on vacation to Salt Lake City, who are three people there I want to interview? Oh, mm-hmm. cool. Now it's, now it's, oh, now I'm blending a little bit of two things that I, I enjoy. I enjoy traveling. I enjoy going to see cool shit. And I enjoy interviewing people. Hmm. How do I mix those together? Yeah. If I want to do dope shit, I have to plan dope shit and make my work a part of it, which is, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. Like I, I do podcasting, but I don't have to be podcasting all the time. How can I incorporate other fun shit into my life that will not only a, just be a kick-ass time, but B, I'll be able to talk about these things and use my experiences to create content and kind of feed off of each other. For sure. Right. It's just a snowball effect of, since we're on the subject of dope shit, it's just a snowball effect. Mm -hmm. Right. And so much of this year was literally that of, uh, you know, Jeremy's a good friend of mine. He kind of thinks in the same vein. I was like, Hey, do you want to go to Australia for a month and just like lead some workshops and teach there? He's like, yeah. Okay. And so that was it, Zach. Like that was the entire conversation. We blocked off the month of October. Mm-hmm. Like, let's go to Australia. And I had a woman who was like, oh, you're coming to Australia. You want to teach a workshop with me in Bali? I'm like, yeah, that sounds really fun. That sounds dope. Well, maybe I'll just spend the entire month there mm-hmm. teaching or doing stuff or figuring it out, right? Like, how can I make money? Oh, I make money these ways. But that opportunity exists for so many people. That opportunity is right mm-hmm. there. People are like, oh, I have a nine to five job. I can't do that. Okay. What's your side hustle? What's your passion? Like, I doubt that you're, you're taking this call, you personally, from like your private jet, from all the money that you've made pod- podcasting, mm-hmm. right? Perhaps not, but there's going to be a point where this thing makes you money, right? But you may have had to do the first hundred episodes without making money. That's, that's available to everybody. Yeah, I just want to be friends with people who have private jets. I don't need one myself. <laughs> I just want to have them on speed dial. Right, but you didn't your my point is that like you put the effort in. Yeah. You started the podcast, you at some point you had to buy a mic, you had to look up how does one start a podcast, you had to go through the like tech headaches, you probably had guests back out on you, you've had recordings that didn't sound good. Like you've you've gone through the the the, the initiation period. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I'd love to get across to people listening is you got to be, it's, you got to be willing to go through the shit that we see people on social media. We see people in the media. You hear of people, people ask me all the time, or this is the, not ask me, tell me this sentence. You're so lucky. You're a good speaker. Mm-hmm. Like you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> you have no idea how much time, effort, money, and energy I've spent on speaking. When you were doing other shit, I was in weekend workshops having to talk about the hardest things that would make me cry because the people there say, if you can't talk about the hard shit, you can't talk about any shit, right? Spending $5,000 on a workshop as opposed to buying $5,000 worth of stuff. And I think that's the, the, there's an entry fee to living a dope life 
And then there's simply the action of I do dope shit. Yeah, I think 2 Chains was the one who said it took me 10 years to be an overnight success. For sure, right? For sure, for sure. For he also sure. said a lot of other stuff about cars and titties, but that's for a different, <laughs> different podcast. And sh- it shot a lot of videos too. Um, yeah, very different. I, I, I love, unlike you, man, I love going back. And I have this photo on my phone of, um, of Preston Smiles and Lewis Howes. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're sitting at lunch in L.A., and they both talk about in the post of where they were like five years before. And I know people who were with them at that time when they were just coming up with their ideas. Mm-hmm. And I shared it with my buddy, Jeremy. I was like, this is going to be us in a couple of years because we're on that track. We've gone through the shit. We took a course together uh, two or three years ago on like, what do you do if you're not making any money? Like we had a buddy that was like, I'll help you guys. And he, he taught a free course about it. And, and so I'm, I'm saying this because I love going back and listening to people's initial story and going, oh, that's right, Tim Ferriss. You were human too. Yeah. Oh, that's right, Lewis Howes. You were in Preston. You guys were human too. Oh, you went to shit and it didn't work. Oh, I just had this image that you woke up one day with a seven-figure business. Oh, that's not how yeah. it works for anybody. Oh, beautiful. Oh, Joe Rogan, you just didn't have a hundred million downloads on your first podcast. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I was yeah. actually just listening to the magician Pen of Pen and Teller on the Tim Ferriss podcast, yeah. which is a, the whole episode is dope. I highly recommend anyone who's listening to this to to check it out. But Pen was talking about, uh, and it reminded me when you said. Lewis Howe is looking back where they were five years before. He keeps a very detailed daily journal every single day. And he says part of it is just because he likes writing, but another big part of it is that he has a terrible visual memory, a visual recall, which is surprising to hear from a magician. But he, he in detail, he goes through his entire day he writes out his problems kind of like this stream of consciousness and he just all he does at the top he just labels the date and where he was and so every day he looks back i believe it's 20 years 10 years and five years and he's been doing it for something like 25 30 years at this point just to see where he was and i don't i don't know if he meant this to be funny but i kind of laughed at it because he said he had ended relationships because he had looked back when he started it a year previously and saw that he was having the same problems that he had today. And so he, and so he was like, fuck this. I need to get out of this relationship. <laughs> like if, if it's been a year long thing, like I need to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> it ain't going anywhere. It's been a year. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. But that's the whole looking back thing. Just r- reminded me of that, that little tidbit of the conversation. It was, it was very cool to hear him verbalize that. Yeah. Yeah, man. People forget. Like five years ago, last week, my ex-wife walked out. Five years. And I've gone through so much in the last five Mm -hmm. years. And at at some level, it's like, oh my God, that was yesterday. And some level, it was a lifetime ago. Year to Live Mm -hmm. Project, two books, two TED Talks, a men's movement, first workshop, first all the things, travel, blah, 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 blah. And it probably took... The last year was the year that it really took off. So that mm-hmm. was four years of, of struggle. Yeah, just groundwork. Just and awful mm-hmm. of like pain, suffering, and then groundwork. 
Yeah, I think this is a good time to get into Man Uncivilized and the whole the the brand and the the lifestyle. I feel I feel bad calling it a lifestyle because it's more much more than a lifestyle, but just the whole ethos of of Man Uncivilized. Could you for for people that may not be familiar with it, could you explain what Man Uncivilized is and and how you came to put it out in the world. Sure, 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 sure. So what it is, is a paradigm shift. It's a culture shift for men. When I first was exploring, you know, the answer to the question, who am I as a man? A couple of years ago, what I felt was, and this was around, you know, it was maybe two, three years ago. So it was right around me too. It was right around some other cultural shifts that uh, my options were, there was this 1950s kind of Marlboro man paradigm, like our fathers and grandfathers, the like stoic, lone wolf, unemotional male who did everything by himself and like didn't cry and just had to be tough. Like all that, that was paradigm A. Mm-hmm. And paradigm B was this sensitive new age guy, the like weak, nice guy. And I put nice in quotes, not kind, but nice who was like had no backbone was wasn't going out doing shit was was afraid of his own masculinity yeah. was afraid of his own sexuality was afraid of like was apologizing and, and ashamed of being a man and i saw these as like option a or option b it's like pick one i was like i don't really want to pick either of them so since i couldn't find what i wanted which was a blend of the two which was what is amazing about traditional masculinity, about protection, provision, leadership, going out and adventure, you know, like owning the fact that as a man, you want to be strong. Uh, you want to be your risk taker. You can, you can have stoicism. Let's take that and then combine it with an emotional te- intelligence. Mm-hmm. Let's combine it with consciousness, right? Like the 1950s version of men doesn't work today. The world's calling for us to be different ways. We're calling for us to be different ways. All we have to do is look at every negative health statistic on the planet. And if it doesn't involve breasts or ovaries, we have it, Mm -hmm. which means there's something going on with us that wasn't working. So I created the third option, which I called the uncivilized paradigm, which was the blend of both the primal masculine that like, yeah, I can fight, I can fuck, I can hunt, I can go build. And the divine masculine, which was, oh, I'm conscious, I'm emotional. I'm going to look back and and realize that I've been wounded in my life. And my job in order to make myself safe as a man is to go back and heal that wounding, is Mm -hmm. to just to work with my own trauma so that I don't re-traumatize other people. And so I had that idea of like, oh, here's a dude. Like, this is what he looks like. This is what he does every day. This is how he feels in his skin. This is the ethos that he follows. This is what he lives by. But how do I now get this into the hands of, of, of a million men? How do I shift the actual culture mm-hmm. of masculinity as opposed to just having these isolated dudes who are out there crushing it, right? So how do I, how do I shift the perception? And that was a lot of writing, a lot of speaking, and then finally writing the book, uh, Man Uncivilized, so that I could get it into guys' hands and say, Hey, just read this, look at it, take it in. It's short. 
It's bite-sized chapters. It's poignant. I, I'm going to fuck you with words. It's going to be direct. It's written by a man for a man. It's not flowery language. It's got pictures. It's well-designed. Take a look at this. Read it and just see how you feel while you mm-hmm. read it. Does it re-inspire you to go do some, quote, manly shit? Does it inspire you to do some things that you wouldn't have done otherwise on the internal realm? Does it inspire you to go to a workshop? Does it inspire you to have an honest conversation with your your romantic partner? Does it inspire you to reach out to other men to create some brotherhood and some camaraderie? Does it inspire you to have actual, I don't like the word, but we'll use it, vulnerable conversations Mm -hmm. with people in your life? How about we just call it honest? Does it inspire you to be a better version of a man and a different version of a man? And I believe it does, and therefore, thus the success of the movement. So that's really what what it came from and and how I've gotten it out in the world. Yeah, I I ordered your book yesterday, so it's on the way. And I can't wait to get fucked with your words and have my my (laughs) genitals stirred in ways that they have not been stirred before. Fuck it. We'll do it. Um, Yeah, it's a wild book, man. It's been a wild ride, Zach. This was maybe, God, it was maybe two years ago that I just threw the idea out on social media, on Instagram. I was like, hey, what if we took primal and divine and we put them together and it was suddenly my life changed because i had like hundreds of men reach out to me and go hey what about what was this thing you wrote about today and i was like oh shit let me write an article and i put the article out and i was like holy shit now i have 500 email responses from guys from men mm-hmm. who don't reach out to anybody like hey this thing you wrote about it was different i've never heard it this way or it's what i heard before but it makes sense this way and then when I wrote the book and started getting feedback from people that I looked up to were saying, this is the book, the, the men's book that's been necessary for the last decade. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, shit. okay, there's something here that came through me as opposed to I created because from literally the first, first word I typed to holding a finished copy of the book in my hands. And when you see it, you'll understand that it's professionally designed like a magazine, mm-hmm. that whole process was 13 months, which yeah. is insane. That's crazy for a book, even just to get written, let alone designed, edited, printed, and in, in mm-hmm. hand. Yeah, and when I was going through the the articles that you have available on your website and what you had what you had written about Man Uncivilized and, and all the things you were just talking about, I started to think about how how I could apply it to dating because that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm single. I live in Brooklyn, but I'm a, I'm around New York City, so it's something that is prevalent in my life at the moment. And I kind of before this, I was kind of looking around for material. How, like, how do you be a man on dates? How do you how do you you know? Be someone who is giving off uh, like the man uncivilized vibe before I, before I even t- came across man uncivilized. It was kind of like what I was looking for, but how can I, yeah. how can I bring that into when I'm sitting down at dinner with a woman that I'd never met before? Maybe I had a five minute conversation with her and there was really nothing online besides the typical, you know, listen to her, open up, uh, like a lot of like a lot of like a lot of things that I already knew, but just weren't act weren't actionable advice. And when yeah. when I was uh, reading through the the man uncivilized material, 
a lot of the things you you talk about like being being decisive or uh yeah. taking action planning the dates are, are things that i had always uh kn- known that i should have been doing but i, I just never really put it together until I started to read this stuff. I I was wondering if, you know, since you've spent time dating and I I don't know if you're still single at the moment, but I assume that you went through a single period. Okay. What, what are some ways that you, you think you've, uh, or not you think, but some ways that you have applied this to dating and sex, sex and relationships and, and things that, are more intimate? Great question. You know, for, for dating, it's, first of all, I get asked multiple, multiple, multiple times a day on social media, where do I find a man like this? Where do I find an uncivilized man? So I know that the man that we're creating is desired. And here's a lot of it. A lot of it is you have a dope ass life. Right. Mm-hmm. So your life is so full. There's a, there's a chapter in the book called the 72 hour callback life. And it's coming from a, a conversation I had with a dating coach or I didn't have, I saw online mm-hmm. and this guy asked, Hey, you know, I met this girl, really like her, got her number. Like, should I wait the requisite 72 hours before calling her back? Like the, you know, quote 72 hours that were whatever fucking game we're supposed mm-hmm. to do to, before we call a human. And the coach wrote in, if your life is not so awesome and full and rich and so full of dope shit that it's going to take you 72 hours to get back to her, like if it's not that fucking amazing right now, call her right now and apologize for not having that life. Tell her that you're basically like you're going to use her to make make yourself feel better and then get your ass busy creating that life. So yeah, it was harsh, right? Like the poor guy was like, well, my life's not that dope. So, so one, get on it. Like know who you are. Know the very first chapter of the book. What are you building? Who are you? What are you building? Right? And then there's, there's three, I call them the three relentlesses. You're going to read all these chapters. Your relentless pursuit of bringing your unique vision to life. And notice the order of this. That's number one. Number two, relentless pursuit of growth. Number three, relentless pursuit of bringing value to every relationship you're in. And now here's the caveat. Number four, then start dating. Mm-hmm. Right? So make sure you got you. You know what you're all about. You know who you are. You're fucking shit up in the world. You're out there living this incredible life so that when you then sit down across from a woman on a date, the date that you've planned a date that you've led with, you've led on, you're going to sit there and go, now tell me who you are. Tell me about your life because mine's incredible. Mm-hmm. I don't need you to make me feel good. I don't need you to fill the hole in my life because I've gone to therapy. I have access to sex because I'm an interesting human and interesting humans, especially as men, tend to have access to sex. So I'm literally not here with any need whatsoever from you. Do I have wants? Sure. Do I want companionship, partnership, intimacy, sex, regular, all the things? Yeah, definitely. But if you can sense this, Zach, the uncivilized man doesn't have those needs. He's not needy. Mm -hmm. It's not that he doesn't have the needs. He's not needy. He's self-regulated, self-reliant. 
He's got great male friends. He's got camaraderie. He's got brotherhood. He's, mm-hmm. he's interested in the world. He's fascinated everywhere he goes. So now imagine listen, like sitting down from that across from that. And now compare that to what the, the standard date she's most likely been on in the last month. A dude who really isn't that doesn't really give a shit that much about his life. He may or may not be in shape. He's stuck in his head. His ego is super driven. He hasn't done any of the work to like find his actual heart. He can't express his emotions. He probably asked her where she wanted to meet and at what time. He's really just there so he gets fucked or gets mm-hmm. laid. And it's all a game. Yeah. Right? So does that yeah, make sense? No, it makes, it makes sense. I, I've definitely been there where I'm sitting on dates and even though – the person across from you might not be saying, you know, this, uh, this isn't exciting or I, you know, at this point in the relationship, am I exciting? I've definitely felt that before. And I, and I haven't, uh, I guess at that point I, I didn't put together the pieces where I just have to make myself more exciting. I don't, I don't have to, I, I don't need to make her think that I'm exciting. I, I want to do a dope adventurous shit. And then, as a result of that, hopefully she will want to spend more time with me and be a part of my life. But I need to create that for myself first. In college, 100%. in college, I'd spent a lot of time going through the whole uh, like pickup artist subreddit and reading all this stuff. And your stuff almost reminds me of the anti pickup artist because the pickup artist stuff is is about manipulation and how you can basically use the insecurities of other people against them in order to make them try to prove themselves to you. So like manipulating the whole power dynamic, which works if you're only interested in sleeping with girls that are not uh, good partners or or that are able to be manipulated. You're not going to find someone that's worthwhile while you're giving them backhanded compliments and they're, and they're staying with you the entire time. And you're trying to, manipulate them and so i was i was just reading through your stuff and i was like holy shit like this is this is what yeah uh, what i want to create for myself i want to do adventurous shit i i want to have great sex i want to have great conversations i want to have a deep relationship with people and i want to create a life for myself outside of those relationships like regardless of those relationships i'll be doing exactly what i'm doing even if you were in my life or you weren't amazing, right? It's the dichotomy It's It truly is the dichotomy. And it comes down to this quote. Uh, he with the least power has the most need. Mm-hmm. He with the least power has the mm-hmm. most need. And so how do you create personal power? Yeah. Right. You create personal power by having an incredible life. You create personal power by doing the hard shit. You create personal power by going to therapy and getting your, your wounds dealt with and getting your shit handled. If you, if you are terrible with your finances, it's studying finance. It's, it's handling your shit. Mm-hmm. Then you're not looking for someone else to solve that for you. That's the position that a lot of men put women in. It's, I don't feel good on my own, so I need you to make me feel good. And if you've ever been around anybody who who has that energy, it's like, it's vampiric. It's like they're vampires. Mm -hmm. It's awful. You can sense it like, oh, you're just sucking my fucking energy out. And then get around people who are self-actualized and have really done the work and are living great. Like I'm in a house full of rock stars, man, right now. Mm -hmm. People who are living here with me. 
And it's just, it's so unique to be around this many people who are just crushing shit and they're crushing shit and doing the work, right? There's been a lot of crying this week. There's been a lot of holding. There's been a lot of hugging. There's been a lot of, how can we help? There's been a lot of like high-fiving. There's been Mm -hmm. all kinds of shit. They're attractive people because of that. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a yes. And Zach, Mm -hmm. it's like, I don't want people to hear this and go, Hey, cool. I need to go on a three-year quest to build an amazing Mm -hmm. life before I get to go on a date. It's not that, but really be honest with yourself, especially men. Are you sitting there because you want to get laid? And if that, if that's the case, that's not a problem, but you better say that in the first five sentences. You better be fucking honest. Like, hi, Susie. It's really nice to meet you. Just so you know, I'm only here to get laid. Yeah. And see what she says. She may be like, you know what? You know what, John? That's incredible. I'm only yeah, here to get me, laid me too. Me too. What a coincidence. <laughs> and you guys, you can go go to the backseat of someone's yeah, car. exactly. But if you're sitting there saying in your head, I'm just here to get laid. And the whole time you're listening to stories and you're having someone open up their life and they're sharing stuff with you. And that's what you know you're there for. Then you're a fucking vampire and don't do mm-hmm. that. So go have hobbies, have interests, have male friends to the guys listening to this. Have real conversations with those male friends. Talk about things that are hard. Talk about things that upset you. Talk about things that hurt you. And talk about football. And talk about sports and politics and all the things. But be real. Create real relationships so that when this person comes into your life, you say, hey, there's space for you here. I would love to have you be a part of my life, but you're not going to be my whole life. Mm -hmm. And no, I'm not going to stop doing the shit that I'm doing when you come into my life. Because if I do that, you'll lose attraction for me and then you'll leave. And then we both don't get to be in this great relationship. Yeah. I like the way you put it. I, I, I can't remember if it was a podcast or an article, but you said if women didn't exist, how much of what you're doing would you still be doing? And I think that's a great way to exactly. think about it. And while we're on the topic of male camaraderie and, and the guys that you live with, I think it would be a good topic to end on is the uncivilized sure. six that you have mentioned in some yeah. Instagram posts. And I, and I think you mentioned in a blog post as well, but who are the uncivilized six and how did you guys come together? It's a, it's a mildly crazy story. Uh, when I got to Colorado, I was like, do I start a men's group here? And they were like, nah, I don't want to. It's, it's a lot of work. I'm going to be traveling a lot. Like I don't want to be beholden to having to be a certain place, certain time. And um, then I went to a party and I met a guy, fascinating, fascinating guy. And we talked for like a half hour. And at the end of that conversation, he said, hey, if you ever start a men's group, let me know. I'd really like to be a part of it. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to, but thanks. And then like three days later, I went to an event that Lululemon put on for like male entrepreneurs Mm -hmm. uh, in Boulder. And a dude came running up to me after I gave my little two minute pitch of what I do and was like, if you ever start a men's group, I would love to be a part of it. And I was like, yeah, not going to, but thanks. And then about three days later, another guy came up to me who I knew from the gym and was like, I really need men in my life. If you start a men's group, I was like, oh, fuck. Third time's a charm. All right. (laughs) (laughs) So I reached out to another buddy of mine who had said the same, but like a couple months before and then had, of course, uh, one of the women I'm here with um, called me and said, hey, there's someone you need to meet in Denver. He's this extraordinary human. His name's Andrew Fraser. He's uh, you should interview him. 
guy lived through Columbine and then jumped out of airplanes for the rest of his, for his Andrew life. Andrew Fraser, fascinating human. Yeah, Andrew Fraser, like fascinating mm. dude. Um, I called him and we were just shooting the shit, and he's like, "Yeah, this, this, and this." And I said to him, "Hey, man, you're the sixth guy." He's like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm starting a men's group in a month and you're the, I wanted six guys and you're the sixth guy if you want in. He's like, I'd fucking love to do it. And here's the, the juice, Zach. These guys, we have become this, the tightest group of men I know. We meet every three weeks to every month. We share, we've shared the hardest things of our lives. We've cried together. We've laughed together. We've built each other's businesses. We've gone to family events. We've just become this tight knit, you know, little SEAL team of men who hold each other to a very high standard, support each other in ways we never knew was possible, and love the shit out of each other. Mm-hmm. And it was all voluntary, like nothing. I never charged a penny for it. I don't run it anymore. That was part of the deal. I was like, hey, guys, I need to be a part of this if it exists. Like, I can't run it. I want to. Yes, it's my mission that we're following and we read out of the book and read the ethos before every time we open. But they've taken so much ownership themselves that it's just this collaborative effort. It's this really unique thing that I hope lasts forever because it's so pure, Mm -hmm. right? Like no money involved. You can, anybody can leave. It's not like, like you sign a contract, but yet I talk to every one of those guys at least once a week. And we talk about the realest stuff. So guys listening, like people always ask me, hey, where do I find a men's group? Where do I find a men's group? And I'm like, you can start one. Yeah. Like, well, I'm not you. I don't have a movement. I didn't like, you know what? All you got to do is create a space where men can come and speak without judgment. And if you put that out there in the world, I guarantee you, you'll find men that are interested in doing that. And then you got to lead, right? Like I've written all through that book. And we go back to dating. You got to lead. Someone's got to take ownership and say, okay, this is what this is going to look like. This is the parameters. This is when we meet. I'm running it for the first two or three work meetings. And then we're all going to mm-hmm. lead. It's, it's just, I'm so grateful for those guys. So, so grateful for those guys. Yeah. It sounds like an unbelievable group to be a part of. It's funny. I was actually, I was reading an article the other day. I don't know if it was on slate or vice or whatever, but it was, it was ba- the premise of the article is basically how, um, men are somehow responsible for their emotional dependence on women. Cause of their, they have a lack of friends. Like there's men are just not making, uh, friends with people anymore which I, yeah. which uh like the article i didn't really agree with the entire premise of the article but but i i do think that there are a lot of guys out there and i include myself in that that have a, a need for connecting and just bonding with other with other males and, and with uh in a, in a group of guys like five or six people and i and i have a couple people like that in my life right now we don't we don't have a a total a total group of six people but it is like the kind of relationship where we're in different places and we call each other once a month and we just kind of catch up and we both figure each other's shit out on the phone talk about breakups talk about you know writing things down and going through the pain talking about doing what you want to do uh finances even sometimes like how to you know work your way out of debt I'm, i'm i'm talking to uh a friend right now, his name's Dave Robinson and he runs a, a fitness brand called Get Strapped, Stay Strapped. And 
he used to be a financial advisor. I actually interned for him a little bit when I was in college. And then he basically just dropped everything after he had a, an experience in the hospital. He, got, he had a spider bite and like all this, all this crazy mm. shit that was going on with his health and realized that he had to be in the office the next day and basically be a zombie the next week and walk through life while his health, the number one thing that you should be worried about was going to be on the back burner. So he didn't up and quit right then and there, but he started making plans in his life to the point where he said, okay, I want to create a brand. I I love fitness. I I love running Spartan races and competing and things like that. I, how am I going to do that? And he, he's one of those guys that I talk to every month and he inspires me. And it sounds like the guys in your group are the same way where you're kind of just feeding off each other. Yeah. And it's, it's permission too. We, we've seen so much change in each man's life because we know like once a month we're going to come and either get as much support as we need, or we're going to get our asses handed to us because we're, we're not showing up in the ways we should. And I think men, especially we need that. We need both mm-hmm. of that. We need other guys who are like, you're fucking blowing it. I love you. That's why I'm telling you this. And we need guys that are going, you just hit a home run. Society doesn't want you to celebrate that much. We do. We're mm-hmm. going to celebrate the shit out of you right now. And imagine all guys having that balance in their lives. Yeah. Right. Isolation kills more of us than cigarettes. It's crazy. It's actually crazy. And it's getting worse and worse, I think, because of technology. And so thus the reason why a lot of these men's organizations are popping up because guys realize it's like for our own well-being, we need male friends. It makes us better husbands, better fathers, better brothers, better lovers, better all the things. We go, yeah, those guys got my back. Mm -hmm. And it lets us just have a male domain. I know this is a whole other conversation, Zach, but a safe male space that isn't just like, yeah, I fucked this chick last night. Yeah, I made this much money. Yeah, I blew this much coke off a hooker's yeah. ass. Like that's the old version. Like the locker room is the old male safe space. What we need now is a conscious male safe space where, yeah, we get to be dudes and kind of poke each other and give you know punch each other in the arm, but then also say like, hey, are you all right? Like you're going through some shit, and if I were going through that same shit, I wouldn't be okay. So why don't you tell us exactly how you feel? Yeah. Well, Traver, I, I want to uh, thank you again for hopping on the podcast. This has truly been a fucking dope ass conversation. Like <laughs> my, my life is my life is now more dope, and I want to do more dope shit. Having having spoken with you, I love it, brother. I love it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of me course, on. and I I look forward to doing this again sometime, and and meeting you in person as well. I'm sure our paths will thank cross you. at some point. Amen. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Auxoro. If you haven't already, please hit us with a five-star rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. This helps us appear higher in searches, which means more people will find out about Auxoro. Other ways to help get the word out is telling a friend, tagging us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, writing a blog post, or supporting us with a donation on Patreon. We are a completely independent platform, and we're grateful for every listener who supports this podcast. Thanks for coming along for the ride, and I'll see you guys next time.